Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. Copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse number 6. If you don't have a Bible, physical Bible, maybe you have it on your phone, you can turn your Bible on and go to 1 Peter chapter 5. If this is your first time worshiping with us, we are just honored and humbled to have you here. So in the chair back in front of you is this little connection card. If you would just take some time, put whatever information you want to share in it, turn it into the offering box as you leave, a prayer request, or you could take, come uh, to bring down to one of the pastors down here in the front after service or in our Next Steps area in the Commons, which is to your left. That would be a tremendous gift to us today. It helps us to be able to help you. First Peter chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse number 6. Let's stand this morning. First Peter chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse... Number six, scripture says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, establish, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanius, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who, has, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Um, greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. You may be seated. And I'm not asking you to kiss each other uh, in church this morning unless you're married. Here's a question I want to ask you. Uh, I know many of you are still kind of living with the after effects of the tryptophan and the turkey. Uh, and so some of you have that glow on you. Uh, this morning. But here's the question I want to ask you. How many of you like to watch football? Some of you do? Good. Did, did you all watch the Gators last, last yesterday? That's right. Who won? Who won? The Gators did. Six and six. What a great record uh, for a football team, right? It's a pretty good, pretty good record, right, for those, those Gators. Kentucky, on the other hand, won last night. Uh, we beat those dastardly hordes from that little town called Louisville, uh, those dirty cardinals, we uh, smiteth them uh, yesterday. And so, praise God. But, you know, we're in the middle of football season, almost towards the end of it. FBA, this weekend, all right? We won our 100th game in school history. 
Uh, I told Coach that we need to win 102 this season. Uh, well, that means we would go to the state championship and win. Um, and so that would be great. But congratulations to FBA, our uh, First Baptist Academy. You may not be aware of this, but I actually played football in high school. Uh, I know that maybe you, you just kind of wonder, you know, I would flex, but I don't want to rip my shirt this morning. Um, but but I, played, I played high school football. I played on the offensive line, the defensive line. I actually have, uh, there's a banner hanging up in Bryant, Arkansas that has my name on it uh, for the accolades in which uh, my great athletic prowess is now renowned all throughout the state of Arkansas. But, you know, I play, I'm just going to be honest with you. I played some games. Some games were better than others. Um, but you know, there's a lot of things that I learned from my, my coaches. Uh, there's a lot of just, just life lessons. You can learn a lot in athletics. Some of you, maybe you don't really like sports. You're like, well, this is kind of an irrelevant thing, but, but I do think, think that you can learn things from coaches. I think you can learn things from athletics. Uh, but one of the things that I learned just, just in playing football is if you, there's a secret to not being knocked down, uh, playing football. And, and I'm going to give that to you. I know this is going to bless your heart. Okay. So here's what it is. My, my coach, Coach Callie was his name. He said, this is what you have to do. If you want to not be knocked down or knocked back, if you don't want to be knocked back, it's really all about technique. So he said, here's two things you got to do. You got to stay low and you got to stand firm. Stay low, stand firm. And so I, even now I hear, I talk to Coach Sparacio and he says, yeah, you got to get low. You got to get your feet in the right position. You can't be on your tippy toes. You can't be tigger here, okay? You got to have your feet firmly planted. You got to have your sh- feet kind of shoulder length apart, one foot kind of staggered behind the other. You, you want to be completely balanced because if you don't have the right technique, if you're not coming in at the right position, you are going to struggle against your opponent, now you say, what does that have to do with the message this morning? Well, it has everything to do with it because we have an opponent. We have enemies and these enemies want to knock us back and they want to knock us out in our faith. And so Peter here is closing out this epistle and he is he's closing it out as a coach, giving some very practical advice on how we can withstand the hits of life. So Peter, at the end of this epistle, is summarizing uh, the grace of God that is necessary for faithful endurance in the Christian life. And so he is making sure that these believers had proper technique to withstand the onslaughts, the the onslaught of life. And so uh, here's what Peter's going to teach us today. Peter is going to teach us to stay low under the mighty hand of God and to stand firm in the amazing grace of God. So those are the two things. Hopefully a short sermon will be out at three o'clock this afternoon. Let's go. Number one, stay low under the mighty hand of God. Verse six, humble yourselves Therefore, that therefore points us back to what he just said in verse five, which is God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter has just told the church that we need to be daily dressed in humility. Like we put on our clothes, we are to put on humility. Why? Because God opposes those that are arrogant and he gives grace to those who are humble. And you and I do not want the God of the universe to oppose us. I don't know about you, but this week, I I don't need God to oppose me this week. I, I need to be God. I need the grace of God in my life. And so he is commanding believers uh, to humble themselves rather than to hurt themselves, to be utterly dependent upon God. And so he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand 
of God. Now, this phrase, mighty hand of God, we sang about it a moment ago, uh, is associated in Scripture with God's deliverance of the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, in which the Bible says it with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. This is God's omnipotent, all-powerful, omnibenevolent, all-good hand, the hand of God, the hand that holds the nations. The hand that holds the universe, that holds the future, that holds your life, that holds your salvation. God's hand that guides us, feeds us, disciplines us, and gives to us. God's hand that opposes the proud, defeats our enemies, and works wonders. So he says, humble yourselves under that hand, that that mighty hand of God. Now, Humility in the Greco-Roman society in which Peter is writing was not a virtue. It wasn't something that you aspired to be. It was, it was not a, something that was seemed to be a characteristic that you wanted. As a matter of fact, it was actually mostly seen as a vice. It was seen as weakness. And I think the same is true in our 21st century America, where humility is seen as weakness in a world that prizes self-esteem and validation. Uh, Recent studies of college students uh, have shown that 70% of college students right now uh, score higher on narcissism, self-absorption, and lower on humility than they did 30 years ago. Now you say, what's the difference? I think that one of the big things that's caused to the uptick on narcissism is social media. We're all obsessed about ourselves. So it's all about me. So here he says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. But here's the question. How do you humble yourself? You know, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I mean, how, right? I mean, that's a problem that many of you have. So how do you do that? Self-humbling is not something that you initiate. It's not like, you know, I'm, today I'm just decided I'm going to be humble today. No, it's, it's not something you initiate. It's something that you embrace because God sends things into your life that humble you. You know, so like some of you that are married, when you're being married and, and, and having a spouse is, can be humbling at times. Having children is very humbling, right? Uh, can keep you very humble and also very poor. Um, you have different situations at your job where you, you're asked to do a task that, that you're, you're really struggling with doing. It's very humbling. Or maybe you're in physical fitness and you're, you're working out with somebody and they're like bench pressing like 325 and you're like barely getting the bar off, you know? And it's like, you know, I, what did you do? Well, I did 45 pounds today anyway. And, and it's very humbling. Or, or maybe you're going through something financially in your life and it's very humbling. Sometimes life just smacks you right in the face and it humbles you. See, uh, how you humble yourselves is, is not by just bootstrapping it and saying, I'm going to be humble today. Often God sends things into your life that humble you. And so this, this command is really an invitation. This is an invitation to humble yourselves by first being humbled. And so it's responding to the things in life that humble you. See, humility is the capacity to rightly see yourself in light of who God is and what God does. So pride is, is blindness. It's, it's, it's a delusional, inflated view of self, and it's a delusional, inflated view of reality. So in his great book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says the following. He says, here is the great paradox. The proud man thinks he's humble, but the humble man thinks he's proud. The humble man sees his arrogance and he sees it clearly. And as a result, he, re, he uh, aggressively pursues a life of humility. But he does not think of himself to be humble. 
The proud man, on the other hand, is completely unaware of his pride. Of all men, he is most convinced that he is humble. So like, I know some of you are like, you're saying, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this message. They're the most arrogant person I know. No, you might be the most arrogant person you know. Because the humble man sees his arrogance and the arrogant man sees his humility. How do you humble yourself? Well, obviously, it's something that you must embrace through situations in which you get your teeth knocked in. But, 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 but often, it's just, again, it's seeing who you are in light of who God is. And how can you see who you are in light of who God is? Well, here's the answer. Being in the Word of God. If you want to know who God is, read the book. If you want to know who you are, read the book. When you get into God's word, God's word gets into you. When you study God's word and then you obey what it says, listen, you only believe as much as the Bible as you obey. And so as you look into scripture and and scripture says, you know, you should be this way. You shouldn't be that way. It's very humbling. So you have a decision to make. Am I going to obey what God says or am I going to live life my way? Am I going to claim to be the author of my own salvation, the captain of my soul, or am I going to trust God with it? And when you trust God with it, it's very humbling. Another way that you can humble yourself is by spending time in prayer, spending time seeking God, spending time even fasting. You say fasting, what is that? It's, it's abstaining either from something or from food for a season of period to say to God, God, I want you, I need you more than I need food. See, these spiritual disciplines teach us who we are. It, it teaches who, who Christ is, and it teaches our need for him. And it's, it's the way that we can humble ourselves. And so Peter says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And then verse number seven comes in. A lot of you maybe have heard verse number seven. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So this is something that maybe some of you have, like you have it, this, this kind of hanged up in your house on a picture or maybe it's on a coffee mug or maybe you've, you've memorized this verse before. And so the, the word casting is, is a unique word. Um, it, you know, I had a lady after the last service said, you know what, Peter was a fisherman. So was he thinking like casting out, like casting out uh, a fishing line? And I said, well, they didn't have fishing poles back in Peter's day. And, but you know, casting a net out. But, but literally the word, the word means to hurl. Now, not to vomit, but to hurl. It could mean to vomit, I guess. But it means to hurl your anxieties on Jesus. To to make him responsible for your anxieties. To to give your problem to him. See, when you recognize who you are in light of who he is, you realize that your burdens, your cares, your anxieties are too heavy for you to carry. And so you gladly give them to Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't do anything about your issues, but it means that you give your problems and put them on Jesus and make your problems his problems. You know, the Olympics are coming up in February. I didn't know if you knew that. Um, you felt like we just had them, you know, like last year or something like that. But um, the, I believe that there's an Olympic sport that needs to be out there. Needs to be, there's a new Olympic sport that needs to come into being. And that is grocery bag carrying. And so, like, it's an Olympic sport in the Brumback house. And so what I try to do is, that, you know, being manly that I am, uh, when you go to Publix or you go to Target or if you have to go to Walmart and you get all those bags, one of the things that I love to do is, is to take in one time all the bags and carry them into the house and, not, and just shut the door behind me and, and not have to keep coming back. You ever just come in, come out, come in, come out? 
So like, I'll just, I have them all the way up to here. Like I'll put the bags and they'll be all the way up to here. And then I'll carry like that big thing of water. Or sometimes I'll do it like this and just kind of, you know, cause I think, listen, this should be an Olympic sport. So over the years, my kids have seen me do this. And so a few years ago, when, when my kids were little, one of my, my middle son, Andrew, he decided that he was going to help his dad and he was going to carry all the groceries. And so here he is. I mean, this, this kid, you know, maybe weighed like 30, 40 pounds at the time, or maybe, maybe 50. And here he is carrying all these groceries and all these groceries combined weighed more than the kid did. And so he's like, you know, he's staggering in there and, 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 you know, I'm sitting there looking and there's the bread and I'm like, well, there went the bread and, you know, and then there's the eggs and like, oh my goodness, what, you know, when we spend all this money because we have to get the organic eggs, we can't just get the cheap eggs. We got to get the real eggs. And then you have this organic milk that costs like $80 a half a gallon. And so here he is just coming in here and waddling in there. And so I look at him and say, son, you need some help. And he's like, yeah. And so he just basically gives me all the bags. And so then I, I get out and, and I'm headed to the door and he goes in front of me and he shuts the door right on my face. <laughs> All the bags. But he had no problems casting his burden on me. And listen, I didn't mind carrying it. And here's what Jesus says. You can cast your cares on me. Now, here's the interesting thing. We kind of make verse seven to be its own little, ser this own little sermon and its own little verse, but, but verse seven is a part of a greater sentence. So if you, just in your, if your Bibles, you'll see that it's still a part of verse six and in which you have a main verb, a command. It says, humble yourself. How do you humble yourself? Verse seven, casting all your anxieties on him. And so I, I'm not much of an English scholar. I barely speak the language, but here is what that word casting is. Anytime you see I-N-G, it's a participle. Participles modify the verb. And so the, the verb that it modifies is humbling yourself. And so when you cast your anxieties on Jesus, casting your cares is a form of, of humility. It's how you humble yourself by casting your cares. And so the opposite of casting your cares is what? It's keeping your cares and carrying them all by yourself. And so uh, the proud person says to God, no, 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 Jesus, you're not going to carry my cares. I'm going to carry my cares, my anxieties myself, because I don't want to look weak. I don't need anybody to think I can't carry my own weight. And so Jesus, I don't need you. I can carry the groceries in all by myself. That's what pride is. And when you keep all your cares, what that is, that's worry. And so worry is a form of pride. You say, well, I'm not very proud and I worry all the time. Well, yeah, you're proud. Some of you have PhDs in worry. See, worry, you say, how is it pride? Because here's what worry says. Worry says to God, God, if I were in charge of the universe, I would do things a whole lot different. Worry denies the sovereignty of God. Worry is assuming the mantle of control instead of trusting God with your problems. Worry is stubbornly trying to carry what will ultimately crush you. See, anxiety is not meant to be held onto. It's not a treasure or a keepsake. Anxiety is not a bosom buddy or a comfort toy. Anxiety is an enemy. It's an enemy to a sober mind. It's an enemy to peace. It's an enemy to your faith. And you and I must cast our anxiety on the one who is big enough to handle our anxieties. 
See, Jesus is big enough, he is powerful enough, he is wise enough, and he is loving enough to carry your anxieties. You don't have to carry them, but you'll continue to carry them if you're proud, if you're arrogant. See, my issue is, you know, I don't mind praying and giving God my worries. Like, I can pray, give him my worries. I can say, Lord, I give you this, I give you that. You can have it. And then as soon as I'm done, I feel so good about myself, I just take them back from God. And so my, that's my issue. I will pray to God, God, I want you to deal with this. But then as soon as I'm done, I start worrying about what I just told God I gave him. Anybody else in here or is it just me? You know, maybe the 11 o'clock crowd, you don't deal with this, but I deal with this. I'm pretty messed up and I'm your pastor. So what does that say about you? Anyway, <laughs> so daily, I have to keep giving it to Jesus. Not only daily, I have to give it hourly, minutely, and sometimes every second. I gotta keep, and I just gotta say, Lord, I trust you with this. Lord, I trust you. I gotta constantly cast my cares on Jesus. I gotta constantly say, Lord, I trust you. Take my anxiety, give me your peace. And so the question is, is that how can I trust that when I do cast my cares on God, he's got it? You know, many of us, we wanna micromanage God. Anybody like to micromanage God? And I got here, I want you to do this, God, but I'm going to tell you how I want you to do it. And when we tend to micromanage is because we don't trust. And the reason we don't trust is we don't necessarily think that God will work it out the way we want to. But how can we trust that when we give our anxieties, whatever those anxieties are to God, we can trust him with it. Here's why. Peter tells us, you cast all your anxieties on him. Let's read all the last little verse together. Because... He cares for you. I want everybody to say this right now. Jesus cares for me. Do you really believe it? See, no one has ever cared for you like Jesus. There is not a mother, sister, friend, or brother that's loved you like Jesus has loved you. See, the mighty hand of God that rules the universe is the same hand that is tender and caring. The hand that opposes the proud also gives a hug to the humble. You know, with kids, sometimes you don't, whether, you don't know whether to strangle them or to hug them. Now, I'm, not, I'm being funny there, so don't like, ah, what does a preacher do? But there are moments where you just don't know what to do. But have you ever had that moment where your kid has, has kind of just exhausted everything, and they've come to you, and they just sit in your lap, and they just say, Dad or Mom, Here's what's going on. Will you help me? Isn't that just a precious moment? Anybody ever? I mean, isn't that great? And then what do you want to do? You want to hug them, right? You want to help them. It's natural. Well, listen, what pride does, pride robs us of experiencing the hug of God's care in our lives. Because when you hold on to your anxieties, when you hold on to your fears, when you think you can, you can do life on your own without God, it robs you of experiencing his grace in your life. It robs you of experiencing his love in your life because you're arrogant and you're proud. And that's why Peter says, listen, you can trust him with your problems because he's here and he's not going anywhere and he loves you. See, in, in a thousand voices, with 10,000 sentences, our anxiety yells to us and whispers to us, you're alone. No one loves you. No one cares. And when your anxiety tells you that, don't listen. Because you're not alone. 
You're not abandoned. Jesus cares for you. And there is no safer place in the universe than under the mighty hand of God Almighty. You want to make it in life? You don't want to get knocked out? Stay low. Don't get your rear up. Don't get your head up. Stay low and cast. Keep casting your cares on him. Number two, stand firm in the grace of God. Stay low under the almighty hand of God. Stand firm in the amazing grace of God. Verse eight, Peter says, new sentence, notice that. New sentence, he says, be sober-minded and be watchful. You know that Peter is a Baptist preacher because he's repeated himself three times. In this book, he said three times, be sober-minded, be alert. Be clear-headed, be in your right mind. Why is he saying this three times? He's saying it because during stressful seasons, seasons that are, that are difficult and hard times, people tend to lose their minds. I mean, you think about what happened in America in the past two years with COVID-19. People lost their ever-loving minds, right? And some of you are still looking for your minds, right? People lost their minds. Fear has a way of making us lose our minds. Or what we do is either we lose our minds or we give our minds away to escape. So we turn to lust or we turn to substances or we turn to other things to, to, to numb the pain. And so Peter's saying, Christians, you don't have time to lose your mind. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion. Peter says, don't be arrogant. Don't try to white knuckle life. Cast your cares on Jesus. Okay. You need to be free of these cares. Stay awake because you have an enemy out there. You can't handle this. You know, I think it's Vince Lombardi that says fatigue makes cowards of us all. Anxiety makes cowards of us all. And so there's someone out there who wants to devour you, who wants to destroy you. And here's what he says here. You have the devil who is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan does not want to eat your flesh. Satan wants to eat your faith. And so what he does is he devours your faith first through accusations. The Bible says that he is the accuser of the brethren. And so that is what Satan does is he's constantly trying to accuse God's people. And so in your life, maybe he'll send somebody to you and accuse you of something you've done in your past. And they'll say, you know what, you can't, how can you call yourself a Christian if this is what you used to do? Or he will do some things that trigger things in your mind so that your flesh will say, you know what, how can you think what you thought, do what you did, say what you say, and still call yourself a Christian? How can you really be what you say you are if this is how you are? And so that's what Satan does. He wants to devour your faith or he will not only accuse you, he'll accuse God and say, well, you know what? God really doesn't love you. He really doesn't care for you because if, if he really did care for you and if he really did love you, he wouldn't allow you to go through what you're going through. Not only will Satan devour your faith through accusation, but he will devour your faith through temptation. He'll put something in your past, something in your way, something that you are drawn to that will draw you away from God and towards that thing. He will devour your faith through frustrations He'll cause things to frustrate your faith. That every time you feel like you're getting a step ahead, something happens that keeps you knocking behind. And here's what I found, and this is a, a good truth for everybody. Where there is no movement, there's no friction. But where there's movement, there's friction. And so when you're not moving for God, when you're not moving towards God, when you're not living for God, there's no friction in your life. 
Some of you are like, you know what, pastor, I really don't have any problems right now. I'm, I'm in a pretty good place. But for some of you that are really living for Jesus and living for God, it feels like everything is just going backwards. All these frustrating things. Listen, it's not that God doesn't love you or that he's not in control. It may be that Satan is trying to frustrate you to keep you from trusting God. He tries to devour your faith through intimidation. He tries to put something in your life that makes you think that that something in your life is bigger than God. So it may be a health issue. It may be a financial issue. It may be a relationship issue. He will try to intimidate you and he will use deception to do it. He will lie to you. See, Satan is a liar. Satan is a pervert. Satan is a murderer. He wants to murder your faith. Satan wants to scare the faith out of you. Now imagine I told you that I just got word before I came up here on the stage uh, that there is a lion loose in our parking lot. The Naples Zoo just called and told us that one of the lions from the lion exhibit uh, escaped, went all the way up Livingston, however the devil you get here from the zoo, and, and is now in our parking lot. As a matter of fact, we just heard that this, this lion has now eaten three people in our church in the parking lot. How, how do you think you would leave the church after hearing that news? Would you just kind of casually just kind of stroll out there and say, oh, well, you know, let's, let's go eat at Culver's or, or, or let's go eat at this place. And will you just kind of walk kind of nonchalantly to your vehicle or are you going to be like on the lookout? <laughs> you know, some of you ladies, you, honey, will you go out and get the car and bring it up here? <laughs> you know, I already can see that. Some of you knew that. Listen, you're going to be on the lookout if you knew that there's a lion out in the parking lot. See, lions have two modes. They either are in stealth mode, which are hunting their prey, or they're in roar mode when they think they have them. See, lions typically only roar when they think that they've won. And so Peter is saying here, you have Satan who is roaring, thinking that he has won. And listen, if you don't hear Satan roaring in your life, it's because he's in stealth mode. You know what Satan loves to do? He loves to hunt the hurting. Now, now, how does humility connect with satanic attacks? And here's how it connects. When you and I think that we can handle our own problems, our own way, we are prime targets for the devil. When we don't believe that Satan exists and we don't believe that there's any uh, spiritual forces out there to be against us, we are prime targets for the devil. You know, the odds of being attacked by a shark are one and 3.7 million. And yet some people won't get in the water because of the shark. You know, the, the odds of a grizzly bear attacking you in the forest is one and 2.1 million. And yet some people won't go out in the woods. You know what the chances of you being attacked by a supernatural lion? One out of one. And yet most people live their lives as if he doesn't exist. Satan is either roaring because he thinks he's winning or he's in stealth mode trying to destroy your faith. And Peter says, verse nine, resist him. Shut the door on the devil and run. Just because Satan is roaring doesn't mean that he's winning. You know, right now, maybe as we look at all that's happening in the world, all the pain, all the suffering, all the dysfunction, all the division, all the uproar and the turmoil and coronavirus. I mean, it went from alpha to beta to gamma to delta to epsilon to zeta theta. Now we're in stinking Omicron. I mean, when is it? When it gets to Omega, Jesus returns, I guess. But it feels like Satan is winning. But here's what Peter says. And here's what the Bible says. He's not winning. 
Listen, God wants us to not fear Satan, but he also doesn't want us to ignore him. He's a real foe, but he is a defeated foe. And so how can you and I resist a supernatural roaring lion? Well, he tells us by being firm in your faith. He says, firm in your faith. Resist him firm in your faith. Resting each moment in the crucified. Resting each moment in the gospel hope you have in Jesus. Trusting in the mighty hand of God, like with childlike confidence. Reminding yourself, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Spurgeon said that the preaching of Christ is the whip that flogs the devil. James says in James 4, verse 7, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. How do we stand firm? How do we resist the devil? We stand firm in our faith. But secondly, we stand in solidarity with other believers. He says in verse number 9, knowing you are experiencing the same kind of suffering by the brotherhood around the world. That is, if you're suffering, if you're going through difficulty, if you're going through attack, you're not unique. You're not special. I know everybody in our world is everybody's special. Everybody's awesome. Everybody gets a trophy. Listen, you're not special. You're not being attacked by Satan because you're some mega Christian. You're not being singled out. This is normal Christianity. Yea, all who live for Christ will suffer persecution. So don't feel like if you're going through suffering that God has turned his back on you or that he's out of control. God's not lost control. He's in, he's completely firmly in control. But when you are going through an attack from Satan, and some of you say, well, you know what, pastor, I don't necessarily believe in the existence of Satan. Well, you resist him and tell me if he doesn't exist. (laughs) As a matter of fact, if you don't believe in the existence of Satan, just come work with me around here for a week and I will prove to you he exists. But when you realize that you are not alone, you can stand firm. See, we stand firm because we're not standing alone. That's why Jesus made the church. Jesus made the church not to be some institution, but to be a place where you can be encouraged, where you can have other brothers and sisters who will come alongside of you and encourage you and help you and and strengthen you as you fight in the world day by day. As we together collectively penetrate the darkness of Southwest Florida and the state and the nations for Jesus, we need one another. Going to church is not checking a box. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Going to church doesn't get you to heaven. Going to church is what you and I need to give us the fuel to go out and face the day. But just because, going, just because I go to church doesn't mean that I get all that I need. I need other believers in my life day by day. I need other people in my life speaking truth into me. Anybody else need that? We need encouragement. I need prayer. You know, in Kenya, Africa, the Maasai warriors, the famous Maasai warriors, um, they, they tend to, they, they're, they're shepherds, they're, they're out, uh, they're, they're farmers. And so when, when they're tending sheep and they notice the sheep are kind of skittish and they notice that the, that the, the grass is not really moving close by, um, they know something's happening, that they know there's a lion close by. And so what do they do? Well, 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 one, they don't run at the lion and two, they don't run away from the lion. Instead, 
what the warriors do is they form a group and they start making noises to agitate the lions. And so when the lion attacks, they all band together. And so there's this one guy, I heard a story a couple years ago, this one guy who was a warrior showed one of our IMB missionaries the scars on his chest where a lion, he's a Maasai warrior, where a lion attacked him. And the, and the guy said, the warrior said that when the lion fell on me, my fellow warriors fell on the lion. And guess what happened? The lion was killed, but the brothers were not. That's what the church is. Satan may be trying to attack you and we band together. We pray for each other and we fight Satan together and we stand on the promises of God together. What are the promises? Verse 10, he says, here's a promise and it seems like a subtle promise, but it's a promise that we need to claim. Verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, That is, this is a promise that the suffering that you're experiencing right now is only for a season. It's a little while. Now, that little while could be a lifetime, but it's not forever. It's temporary compared to eternity. That's why he says in verse number six that if you humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, at the proper time, he will exalt you. There is coming a time where the suffering and the humiliation you are enduring will not be forever. But God is going to lift you out of your difficult circumstances, and he's going to deliver you into his safe, satisfying presence forever, away from everything you've ever been afraid of and everything you've ever suffered. One day, God will heal every wound. He will make up for every loss, and he'll wipe away every tear. Stand firm. This is not it. Your life is not just what you're going through now. There is something greater coming. Stand firm. You can resist the devil. When Satan tries to tell you about your past, you tell him about his future. And he says in verse 10, I got a little excited there, but he says in verse number 10, He says, and the God of all grace, just think, stop here. Let's camp there for like three seconds. God is not just the God of grace, but he's the God of all grace. And so it's not just that God is only grace. So it's not like God's some old teddy bear in the sky that all he does is, is cry uh, tears of, of lollipops and, and sugar plums and, and it's just all ooey gooey. No, God is a God that is grace, but he's also a God of justice. He's a God of holiness. He's a God of righteousness. He's a God of wrath who gives who, who enacts justice on sinners who refuse to repent. But here's what he's getting at here. The God of all grace means that all grace that you get comes from God and all grace that you need comes from God. Grace is not justice. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting better than you deserve. And so grace is getting what we do not deserve, but yes, better than we deserve. But we only, it only comes to those who realize they don't deserve it. So you can stand firm. He says that God of all grace, who's a gracious God, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Do you understand that God began a work in you? You can stand firm because you know that you're not gonna have to be in that position forever. There is a day coming. And, and here's what I love. I love the Bible, Romans 8, 28 through verse 30. Paul says this, for we know um, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So hey, listen, uh, all things work together for good for those who are called. Um, those he foreknew, he predestined. Jesus is the first, firstborn among many brothers. But here's verse 30. For those whom he predestined, he called. 
Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Do you understand that you're on a conveyor belt to glory? The trains aren't stopping. You're going to go and you're going to be, if you are in Christ, if you are called, you are his forever and ever and ever. Stand firm. Listen, oh my goodness, stand firm. Don't fall apart. Stand firm. Stay low. Stand firm. Let's end. I know I got a little over, got a little excited, so let's end. I'm getting hungry. Anybody else? Verse 12, by Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you. So let's just, what is he saying there? He dictated this to this guy named Silvanus. Silvanus, we also find him in other epistles. He's apparently a really good scribe. Peter, some people have said Peter might have been blind at this time. We don't know. Remember, he, anyway, we, there's a lot I can say there, but I won't. But Peter here dictates this, and, and so he writes it. But then you notice this is both exhorting, as commanding, and then declaring. The reason I point this out, you say, well, what does this have to do with anything? It's because that word declaring. The word declaring is a unique word, and here's what it means. It means to declare as a witness. So basically what Peter's saying, everything I've written in this book, everything that I know in this book, I know by experience. So I'm not just telling you, I'm not just saying, listen, do this, here's some helpful hints. I've never been there, but just in case. No, the whole letter is a personal testimony. Peter says, I've been there, I've done that, I've bought the t-shirt. Everything I'm talking about, I've experienced. And here's what I love about him. Here's what I love about Christianity. Christianity is not theoretical. Christianity is personal. And that's what the world needs. The world doesn't need you waxing eloquent, talking about stuff you have no idea what you're talking about. It's kind of like the dude who, who has never been married, never has kids, but is an expert on raising kids. Nobody needs that junk. Because here's what I learned about parenting. It was all theory until I had kids. Right? I want somebody who's been there. Peter has been through the ringer. And Peter says, listen, everything I've written in this book, I know by experience. And here's what he says. What I'm telling you, I know what it's like to be pounced on by Satan. I know what it's like to have only the grace of God to stand in. And he says, everything I've told you, everything I've commanded to you is the true grace. The kids would say, it's the truth. That's truth. The grace of God, stand firm in it. Listen, you and I must never get over the grace of God in our lives. We are saved by grace, we grow by grace, we're protected by grace, and we stand in grace. See, Peter understood this. There's a time in Peter's life where he underestimated the power of the devil and he arrogantly tried to carry his own burdens. The Last Supper, Supper, when Jesus with his disciples in the upper room, uh, he said that one of you is going to betray me. And so one by one, each one of them said, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? We obviously know it was Judas Iscariot, but was it any of them? Peter, after that's over with, pulls Jesus aside and says, they may all fall away because of you. I will never fall away. Matter of fact, Jesus, I will die with you. I will never, I will never deny you. Here's the thing, never say never. <laughs> Jesus looks at Peter, Peter looks at Jesus. Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith shall not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And that very night, Satan sifted Peter like wheat. 
Peter denied Jesus three times. And yet Peter experienced God's grace in his life. Because even though he fell prey to Satan's devices and stumbled, he didn't utterly and totally stumble because Jesus was praying for Peter. Jesus was gracious to Peter. Peter knew what it was like to be restored. He knew what it was like to be confirmed. He knew what it was like to be strengthened and to be established by Jesus. And so now he's warning each and every one of us. There's an enemy. Stay low. Stand firm. I have been restored. You can stand in the grace of God. See, when Satan tempts you to despair and he tells you of your guilt within, upward you look and you see Jesus there who made an end of all your sin. Because the sinless Savior died, your sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Jesus and to pardon you. See, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. But if you are in Christ, your doom is not sure. You have a home in heaven, and you have a right relationship with God. And that's why in verse 11, he says, to him be dominion and glory forever and ever. It was not Peter's goodness. It was not Peter's strength. It was God's. And so to God be the glory for it all. Listen, stay low, stand firm. Stay low, stand firm. Stay low under the mighty hand of God. Cast your cares, cast them. So whatever you're thinking about right now, give it to Jesus, give it to Jesus, give it to Jesus, and then stand firm and stand by other brothers and sisters. And when you see someone else weak, when you see someone else falling, you come, you pray for them, you encourage them, and you remind them of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Have your will, have your way. Lord, we love you. We praise you and we thank you for what you're doing. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand, let's sing. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church, go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.